Welcome to the first episode in 2022 of Voices of Nature. I'm Bob Ludke, an advisor to Global Conservation Corps and the creator of the Voices of Nature podcast. We created 20 episodes in 2021. Each of these shared the voices of innovative, passionate leaders committed to saving and protecting the world's most threatened natural resources. We're excited about the many voices we'll bring to the podcast in 2022. Today's episode is a very meaningful one for those of us at Global Conservation Corps. This conversation is about Rhino Man, a movie created by John Jerko, Daniel Roberts, and Matt Lindenberg at Global Conservation Corps. Rhino Man showcases the work of rangers in South Africa as they fight to save the last of the rhinos while facing danger from wild animals, poachers, and threats to their families. The conversation will be a little longer today than previous ones, but we promise it'll be worth it. You'll be transported to the wilds of South Africa as you hear powerful and inspirational stories of people putting their lives on the line to save some of nature's most iconic species. You will learn more about the delicate ecosystem of South Africa and the persistent threat it is under due to climate change, poaching, and resource extraction. To be clear, the importance of protecting rhinos goes far beyond a feel-good story of saving an iconic animal species. Rhinos play a very important role in keeping the ecosystems of South Africa healthy and in balance which is essential to sustaining the people and communities in that beautiful country. Today, we have four guests with us. First is Matt Lindenberg, the founder and executive director of Global Conservation Corps and one of the producers and directors of Rhino Man. He began the journey of this film at the same time GCC was founded to honor the memory of his mentor, Martin Mithembu. Rhino Man started as a short film, then a future, and now it is an entire movement which Matt has been part of since day one. Our second guest is John Jerko. John is an independent filmmaker and video producer who became attached to Rhino Man in 2018. John has been instrumental in bringing the film across the finish line. His journey took him to the bush of South Africa where he met the amazing humans at the center of the film. Thanks to John's perseverance, the completion of the film is in sight. Our third guest is Anton Mazimba. Anton is a technical advisor to GCC and the head of ranger services at Timbavadi Private Nature Reserve, where he leads an elite anti-poaching unit to protect the wildlife and property of the reserve. He also is one of the lead characters in the film, and we follow him and his team in protecting Timbavadi from rhino poachers. Our fourth and final guest is Ruben Decaux. Ruben was a soldier in the South African Defense Force. He was the managing member of the African Field Ranger Training Services, and he served as the Divisional Operations Manager for the Field Ranger Training Services at the South African Wildlife College until 2019. Ruben now is the Manager of Development for Lead Ranger, a global community of professional rangers protecting the world's ecosystems. In the film, Ruben leads a group of 41 ranger candidates through a five-day ranger selection process. Gentlemen, welcome to Voices of Nature. We really appreciate you having us on this very special episode. Matt, let me direct the first question to you. You were the really the, the starting point for Rhino Man and have you know, led the film throughout its entire development. Can you just explain to us a little bit about how the film came about? All right, Bob. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. And it's a huge honor to be on this call with some of my, my greatest friends, but also mentors and heroes uh, in the conservation space. So really privileged to be here. And Bob, thank you to you as well. It's been 20 episodes exactly since we last talked. So 
really excited to be back on Voices of Nature. To take you back to where I was when we got the idea for starting up Rhino Man the movie, I was I was actually in Australia at the time uh, visiting a friend of mine and I got the call to tell me that Mr. Martin Mtembu had, had passed away, which really was uh, not just a mentor for me, but a mentor and an inspiration for thousands of people across the continent and the world. And for me, Martin was one of those people that I thought he could never die. It was impossible for him to leave this world. He was invincible. He was strong, strongest man I knew, and nothing could touch him. So finding out that Martin had passed away planted this huge seed of concern in my heart about what was going to happen to not just the Ranger Corps and to all the, all the young Rangers that he had been training and was supposed to keep training but more about the African youth um, across the continent that now had lost a great hero. And there was this void. There was this massive void with Martin passing away. And so a couple of months later, in early 2015, I decided to start the Global Conservation Corps with the, with the mission of bridging that gap between communities and wildlife. Martin's biggest uh, lesson to me was the huge and immense value of involving local communities in the decision-making and leadership of these protected areas. And so that's the core of, of what Global Conservation Corps is all about. It's a people-focused organization dedicated to conserving wildlife. And our first biggest project of GCC was to start a, a tribute to the rangers. I think we can all agree that even today, rangers are completely undervalued, uh, underappreciated, underpaid. Um, and the global community, especially back in 2015, had very little idea as to what the rangers were doing, what they were fighting against. It was the height of the rhino poaching war. And I wanted to put together a really short 10-minute um, overview of who the rangers were, what they were doing. So we started a Kickstarter, which I think we raised around $15,000 um, in the space of a couple of weeks. And at that point, we were able to bring a production crew down from the United States just to get things moving along and tell the story. They came down for a week. We shot our first yeah, six days at the Wildlife College, came back to Atlanta, put together a trailer for this, this movement, this idea about Rhino Man. And on the 22nd of September, 2015, on social media, we got a comment from National Geographic saying, <laughs> hey guys, let us know when the feature length documentary is done. And we had no plans for a feature-length documentary, but out of nowhere, okay, Nat Geo is excited about this. We chatted amongst our team and, yeah, decided <laughs> let's, let's move this forward. So that's really where it started, how it came about, and it's really, it's really come a long way and evolved into so much more than a film. It's an entire movement highlighting, uh, like I said in the beginning, just the most incredible, brave heroes that have very little recognition and it's about time the world turned around and saw what they, they did and what they do and pay homage, pay respect to the ranger, the rhino man. That's wonderful perspective, Matt. And now why don't I bring in John, you know, whereas, you know, Matt really was the inspiration for getting the, the movie off the ground. John, you've been so instrumental in, and as I said before, almost bringing it to the finish line. Can you just talk a little bit about, um, you know, how, how you've brought the movie to completion and how you see it, um, you know, coming to all of us here in the very near future. 
Yeah, absolutely, Bob. And thanks again for having me on your podcast for a second time. So really excited to be here. And it's always a pleasure and honor. Uh, yeah, the film, I became attached to the film in 2018. And it was, I think it was when I was first visiting Atlanta. I'm originally from Northeast Ohio. And I was thinking of potentially moving down here. And I went to uh, one of these Creative Mornings events. <clears throat> and there was this interesting production company, Friendly Human, that was uh, sponsoring it. And so I went and checked them out because I was kind of looking for a job potentially, um, trying to figure it out. And they had this amazing trailer for Rhino Man, the one that Matt was just talking about that Nat Geo saw. I was like, wow, it would, it would be really awesome to work for a team like this and do some amazing projects like this and go on these kinds of adventures. And I really had no idea, you know, the background of what was going on with the Rhino poaching and the Rangers. It was just my first kind of initial viewing of it and definitely sparked something inside of me. So for about a year, I pursued uh, the, the production company for a job and eventually got one. And that was in 2018 when I finally saw kind of what they had uh, with the film. And it was this beautiful collection of kind of vignettes about, you know, rhinos, uh, rhino poaching, rangers. But for a feature film, I really felt there needed to be this overarching storyline and so that's where I kind of came in and started chatting with Matt more about how could we pull out some main characters for this film to kind of follow along a journey that takes us through this world and what the Rangers are doing out there and the, the amazing work they're doing, along with, you know, the reality and complexity of the rhino poaching crisis. So we kind of sat down with a bunch of note cards and started hashing it out, eventually found ourselves uh, on, I think it was at that time, the fifth trip to South Africa for shooting for this film. And that's when I originally met Anton and Ruben and got to see what what kind of amazing humans they are and just so much respect for their work and uh, what they're doing there and and really start to see the, like I said, complexity. Because I feel like a lot of these types of issues from the outside, it's it's easy to think, you know, there's good guys, bad guys. It's very black and white and and easy to to decide uh, what what direction we should go. But once you're there, you realize, oh, wow, it's way more complex than this. And kind of, again, to what Matt was saying with the nonprofit and what GCC is doing, you know, it's really finding a way to bring the community's involvement into uh, what's going on in these conservation areas. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's grown into this feature film that follows Anton as kind of the head ranger out in the field. And he's, you know, protecting uh, Timbavati Private Nature Reserve from poachers. And you also get to see just his connection to wildlife and nature. And we'll, I'm sure we'll hear more from Anton very soon. And then we also interweave that with Ruben's story and his connection to Martin Mtembu, who uh, Matt was talking about as kind of the inspiration for this project and for the nonprofit. Um, they had a very close friendship and trained thousands of rangers all over South Africa and beyond. And we followed that story and Ruben leading a group of 41 candidates through this selection process, which is, uh, yeah, very interesting. And I'll, I'll let Ruben go into more detail on that when we get to him. But the film at this point, we're kind of in the final, final stages of uh, editing and post-production. And we have amazing score by Simone Wilson that he's putting together that's going to be super beautiful. We have some really great talent from South Africa that's going to be on the film as well. We'll announce that soon. And we're looking to premiere this film spring, uh, early summer of this year, 2022. So lots of things coming together and lots of partnerships to make this more than just a film and more of a social impact 
campaign to hopefully do some good in the world. That is wonderful, John. And, and we are we are so excited to, to see the film um, when it's released. Anton, let me turn to you. Uh, you know, John briefly mentioned your your role in South Africa. You're the head of Ranger Services at Timbavadi. Um, why don't you ex- just bring us into that area of the world? Tell us, tell us what life is like in Northeast uh, South Africa. Tell us a little bit about the role of Rangers in that part of the world and how you found your way into the film. Thanks, Bob, and thanks, everyone. Uh, it's a great honor to me, and not just to me, but uh, for the whole team of the Rangers in the Timbabati and around South Africa and the world. Um, you will please excuse me for my uh, short vocabulary, but yeah, I'll try my best to bring out what I have inside my heart. Um, I started in 1997 working for this uh, organization. So in the other words, I, I joined the conservation industry in 1997. As rangers, we are the front line in the conservation industry. So it means that we have way for conservation to take place. Without us, conservation activities cannot take place because of greedy people out there that they want everything for them. They see the protected areas as islands of gold where sometimes uh, white people are enjoying themselves, forgetting the local communities that before lived in the protected areas and then they were evicted and those, all, all those things. So we are facing like uh, hardships when it comes to do our job. We, 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 we always, once you leave your camp and out into the field, you, you're out of comfort zone. So once you, you set your feet in the field, you are now in a you know, dangerous zone where you, you face everything, you may see everything. I don't know if I'm uh, still on right track, Bob, according to your question. No, you've, uh, you've given us so many wonderful insights, Anton, and, and there's so many uh, things that you mentioned in your, in your remarks. I, I want to come back to a number of them, but First, let me turn to, to our final uh, guest, uh, Ruben. And Ruben, if, let me ask you maybe a kind of a two, two-layered question. Um, and the first is, we've heard Martin Mithambu's name in, both in this episode and in many others, and, and he's truly an amazing person. And so first, could you just describe your connection to him and, and how you became partners in, in Ranger training? And then maybe a little bit about how the, the training has evolved in recent years and is now focused really on, on the rhino poaching crisis. Uh, Bob, yeah, sure. Uh, thank you very much uh, for allowing me to join this podcast. And it's, real, it's a real honor. And it's a real honor being involved in something that Matt has started, that John has taken uh, so much further in the process. And also just to be on, on the line with Anton as well. Anton is the epitome of a, of a ranger. Um, I truly regard him extremely high. One must understand that we are talking about an individual that if 20 people came walking down a road, somebody standing together with you is going to say, wow, who's that guy third from the left or wherever Martin was walking? He just had an air about him. He had a way about him. And um, he garnered the respect of so many different people at so many different levels. And basically just became this presence to such an extent, if you can think of the 
the size of his impact that when the director of Tanzania National Park, uh, National Parks at the time, wrote a letter saying that he would allow South Africans to train people in Tanzania as long as it's Martin Temple. Um, I've been greeted at airports by friends of mine who said, hey, Ruben, nice to see you, but we were hoping to see Martin. Uh, so he was just one of those individuals that made an incredible impact. He had a way about him in terms of getting people to understand their responsibility towards conservation. First, then get to understand their responsibility in terms of being a ranger, and then understanding their responsibility in terms of being a member of a community where they had an educational task. Because our approach at the time was to teach our rangers to be first and foremost law enforcement officers, secondly communicators, and thirdly educators. And Martin put a lot of effort into getting people to understand those processes and for them to be able to carry it across. Um, losing Martin on the 2nd of August 2014 was probably one of the greatest shocks I've had to endure in my entire life. He passed away in a car accident, which is just wrong for somebody that has faced so many dangers at so many different levels. Martin and I stood back to back in many conditions. We were in live firefights and contacts together in many conditions. We survived all of that, and yet it took a vehicle accident. Uh, when I got the news, I was completely um, out of it, at least. For the first day, I couldn't connect with anyone and couldn't speak to anyone. Um, but once, once the penny dropped and the condolences started coming in, I realized, as Matt did, as Matt said earlier, I realized the impact this man had made. We got, I got telephone calls from royalty, that's African royalty, European royalty. I got telephone calls from billionaires from America, um, people that had, had sponsored some of the work that he had done in some of the places. Um, I got telephone calls from the chief executive officers of many conservation bodies in Africa. And you then realize that you've lost more than your friend, your brother in arm, arms. You've actually lost somebody that to humanity meant a great deal. So I can tell you even now that impact, the impact Martin has made in his tenure as a fuel ranger trainer has been vast and has been lasting because I still get people walk up to me and say, didn't you get with Martin? <laughs> Which is a great honor to me to answer and say, yes, I did. In terms of how training has evolved, as I stated in 1992, we had a very paramilitary approach uh, to training and our people were literally trained in, in military tactics, military uh, approaches to planning, to operations, to execution of operations. And both Martin and I were then worked under Nick Steele, who is a, a legend in the South African conservation field. Uh, he was the director of what was then called the Bureau of Natural Resources. And Nick Steele was the person who came to us and said to us as a training team, listen, guys, you've got to start looking at teaching people why they conserve, why they are doing this job. And this was a real easy transition to do because it was more important to understand that the paramilitary part in those days, you trained 98% towards the paramilitary part and 2% towards the conservation part. 
but you the the field ranger in those days was still enacting about 90% of his time as a conservationist and needed the paramilitary part to survive armed contact for the 10% of the time. And over the years, that has evolved where you, you will find that today, uh, and today there's much less poaching going on in, in Kruger National Park because there's much less rhinos and there's also programs going on dehorning. Um, rhinos have been moved to safe spaces. But in 2008, 2009, all the way up to about 2016, some of those patrols had a 60% chance on a daily basis to walk into an armed contact, dealing with people that have been through a war in Mozambique, have been trained as soldiers, are armed like soldiers are armed, carrying things like hand grenades. So you had to find this balance. But Martin and myself put together a program that we applied over the years that truly looked at conservation or the, the individuals coming in as conservationists and impressing upon them the importance of surviving that first contact, second contact, should it happen, but to be con good communicators and come back with information that is uh, usable by the reserve managers. In other words, to carry their, their part as conservationists. And a lot of people will tell you that between 2008 and 2016, up until I would say 2018, to be honest, the roles had flipped to such a point that in the South African context, people were starting to look at two branches of being a fuel ranger, one being a complete uh, environmental management inspector, in other words, carrying the legal responsibilities of a conservationist, and the other one being a counter-poaching officer. So you could see that the pressure was on. However, the, the program that we had developed allowed for the development of people to be good conservationists if they were in a space that did not have the, the kind of poaching pressure that people were um, understanding there to be, if I can put it that way. In other words, a lot of places people were talking about counter-poaching, but a lot of counter-poaching was all preemptive strikes against poachers, syndicates, and those types of issues. Whereas the reactive issues became the more dangerous uh, part. And those big reserves, like Kruger National Park, as an example, because of the massive size of that park, people react to poaching mostly. And we had opportunity, therefore, to train everybody the same and have people literally go back to smaller or quieter reserves and be good conservationists. Whereas the guys in Kruger, unfortunately, were very much connected to this counter-poaching leg of being a field ranger. Somebody like Anton has been exposed to many, many different things. I'm sure a lot of them we can't even talk about in public. But the fact is that it's a very difficult thing to bring to the fore to say to people, we do this training in this fashion to allow for people to survive the conditions in which they're going to be. And Anton put it really eloquently. You know, the ranger, everything is against the ranger. The weather is, the animals are, uh, every, all of those things are against rangers. And, um, and they have to survive so many things, floods, uh, poaching, sometimes bad managers. And therefore, to put the ranger a little bit higher up in the view of people like, like what Matt and John are doing, this is exactly what we need, is for people to understand that rangers are not just individuals carrying a gun. They are true law enforcement officers, but first and foremost, true lovers of the bush. And this is something that I believe Martin, if I can go back to him, that Martin completely encompassed 
He was a true lover of the bush, but he was a fighter at heart like you can't believe. And that included fighting for people's rights, fighting for conservation, fighting for nature, fighting for students. Uh, I mean, we didn't always have moonlight and roses between us, and, and that was the beauty of our relationship. We could truly speak to each other on the same level because we really respected each other that much. And, and that is, a, a, to me, a great point of remembrance. You know, Ruben, you brought through a very powerful theme, which is, you know, ultimately this is, you know, these are real people doing a very, very dangerous job. And there's this incredibly important human element to it. And John, I want to kind of build on that and go back to some of the comments that you made about you know, poaching is a very, very complex issue. And, and while we absolutely need to give the, the people like Anton and Ruben and Martin our utmost respect and appreciation, you know, poaching often is born out of desperation. And there's so many layers to what causes someone to, to become a poacher. It's, again, easy to, easy to vilify, but, you know, you, you do start to see that there are, there are two sides to this story. Can you just talk a bit more about that? Because I think that's a, that's really where Rhino Man starts, right? That, that perspective. And so I'd like you to, to bring that out a little bit for us. Yeah, for sure, Bob. And, and thank you both Anton and Ruben. Uh, I definitely have some, some questions for you too, as well. But uh, with the complexity, uh, honestly, I think maybe this is even better for Anton because I've had so many great rides around the game reserves and moments to chat with him. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's something that I learned when I was there was it's it's not so easy to pick out the bad guys. I mean, there there definitely are these highly trained syndicates, excuse me, that are funded from, you know, other countries and there's this demand for this horn, but there's also you know millions of people living across the the borders of Kruger National Parks and these other reserves in South Africa that uh, just don't have economic opportunity and are struggling to to provide for their families. And so they become easy targets for these syndicates to reach out and, you know, incentivize them to either give information or go out there and poach. But again, rather than me talking about it, Anton, I'm curious from your perspective, I feel like you really, you understand the Rangers role in all of this, but also the bigger picture. So from your perspective, you know, what, what do we have to, to do to, to kind of solve this problem on a, on a bigger level? And what do you see in terms of, you know, when you, when you actually run into these poachers, you know, how many of them are, are highly trained syndicates versus people that are kind of wrapped up in some complicated situation and just trying to provide for their families? And, and how do you deal with that? Because I, I'm sure it can be tough. And, you know, you talk about intim- intimidation in the communities and, you know, you're living potentially next to people that maybe, you know, think that rhino poaching is, is something that they need to do or is, is okay to do. And, and you, you, maybe you're seen as the bad guy. So I just kind of want to hear from your, your side of things. That's okay. Thanks, John. Yeah, it's, it's quite complex to, you know, definitely explain the whole scenario and situations. Yeah. According to my observation is that in the community, uh, we have got three groups of, you know, community members. The first group is the group that says, rhino coaching, whether it happens or not, we don't have any problem with it. 
whether rhinos are killed or not killed, you don't have problem with that. And the, the second group says, no, uh, rhino poachers are very good people because they bring in money into the community. They, they assist us with, you know, bringing, you know, bread on, on the table. And then the third group says, no, rhino poaching is bad because it's killing our economy. So within these groups, we only have one support, a support from the group that is against rhino poaching. And mostly that group is formed by people who are getting something from the protected areas. It's, it's from family members that some of the family members are working in the protected areas. So in the end of the month, they get something to eat at home because a family member is working in the protected area. But for those who don't have any family member working in the conservation area and in the end of the month getting something to eat, they see it, a protected area, as just for certain people, but not for everyone. So um, the, the other group that is neutral, that says, ah, we don't care, is a group that very often the family members are not working in the conservation area, but yet they have employment somewhere else, in the mines, in the office somewhere, you know, not in the conservation industry. So in order for us to deal with it, we have to form the basis to identify and do assessment as to where the problem lies. Uh, like uh, in this area here, when Mr. Harris started here in the Timbawati, he he came up with a program that he called Bush School. It's an outreach program that goes to school and teach schools about, you know, school kids about uh, conservation and all those things. So he he said that um, he's targeting the young children because. They didn't witness the eviction that their grandfathers and, and parents witnessed when they were evicted from some protected areas, like where I'm currently sitting. It, there were people living here, and they still have that hatred of being evicted in their original places. They, they've been displaced to somewhere else they never thought they are going to live, but today they are living there in the margins of the protected areas. So they still have that grudge, they're holding grudges to white people because the white people evicted them from their land. Secondly, we have to see that people living around the protected areas, they have to uh, get uh, the sense of ownership of these protected areas. They have to, in the end of the day, get something tangible promising that we are going to employ their children whenever they leave the school. That is something that is not known when, maybe after five years. People want to see things today. They want to see money or something to eat or something that is going to alleviate the poverty that exists in the community. Because poverty is almost the root of all these things that are happening, all these bad things that are happening. It, the, the main root cause is poverty around the community. Yeah, let us look at the unemployment rate. It's like uh, annually growing in millions. 
if not thousands of unemployed people, those that were employed are losing jobs, like monthly or yearly, people are losing their jobs permanently, that they are no longer going to recover their jobs again. So there is lots of unemployment, you know, happening around the community. And in the end, it, it drives people to see that you know, protected areas are just for selected people. They are enjoying life, but not for everyone. So those people are the ones who are supporting the rhino poaching and all these wildlife crimes because they say in the end they get something out of it. But if they keep quiet, they do nothing, then there's no any share of resources from the protected areas to the community land, I mean, the uh, community members living out in and around the protected areas. So this is something that uh, going forward, and not just for South African government, it's for like the international uh, society to say, let us do something. Because these things not only happening in South Africa, not happening only in Africa, but other continents as well are experiencing the same thing. Wildlife crime is almost everywhere. And if you look deeper, you will see that the origin of the problem is that somewhere in some of the protected areas around the world, people were evicted in order to pave way for uh, conservation to take place. So these people are still alive. That, that hatred is still there, you see. So we need to convince people that protected areas are not just islands of gold where only white people are, are, are gaining, are, are benefiting and forgetting about the people living around the protected areas. No, we have to convince them that, no, this is not just for a certain group of people, but it's for everyone. Let us share resources. Let us do something in order for us to bring people back to conservation, like having that feeling of ownership of what exists in the, in the, in the protected areas. Let's talk about you know, harvesting firewood, harvesting you know, uh, medicinal plants, and you know, game meat. It, 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 this is one of the main problems, game meat to, to, the, to the public out there. We have in the South African government and almost maybe this is has to do with the whole continent of Africa, whereby game meat is not just uh, allowed to circulate in the community land because of foot and mouth disease and other diseases that animals um, are, are regarded as carriers of those diseases that when the meat is taken into the community land, it may contaminate and transmit those diseases to livestock, which is going to, in the end, harm the, 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 the economy of the country because we do business with other countries. So if other countries hear about foot and mouth disease out, outbreak in South Africa, they won't buy any meat products from South Africa, and that is going to make the economy collapse. So, but on the other hand, people want game meat. That's why we see people coming to poach. Some are just doing subsistence uh, poaching, which is just for game meat not like commercial uh, uh, poaching, which has to do with uh, rhinos and, and elephants and lions and pangolin. Those are greedy people who just want money. There is no indication that they, they, are, they are hungry. People who are hungry are, are, are seeking for game meat. And then let's say a, a poacher killed an impala. He halves it, half of the meat is kept in the house, and then half of the meat is sold to his neighbor, and then he gets money and buy food. You know, buy his meal and, and they come and cook. 
and so they feed their families. So here, I wanted to uh, point out one or two points that let us, as protected area, uh, engage communities, bring in you know the the headmans to to come and attend meetings, see what we do in the protected areas. What is the aim of what we are doing and all those things? Maybe because having us equipped like um, militarization is not working well. It's not actually getting to a point where we'll say, okay, we are now have won the battle. We, we are still far away according to my understanding, the way I see things. Having uh, unemployment rate growing like monthly or yearly, it tells us that we are not going to, rhino poaching or any wildlife crime is not going to stop right now. It might take some time for us to, to stop it because some people are doing it out of poverty, out of hunger. They, they have nothing to eat and there's no employment, you see. So sharing of resources may reduce uh, wildlife crime to a certain degree not going to completely stop it, but it may sometimes see, I mean, uh, a wildlife poaching um, going down. So this is my feeling about communities, about protected areas, about us as law enforcers. We are law enforcers. We do more than what people think we do as law enforcers. We are not just law enforcers. We are conservationists. We, we are mechanics. We are, we are doctors. We are, we are almost everything here in the protected area. So that's why the training itself of a ranger, it encompasses lots of uh, uh, subjects, lots of disciplines, just to make a professional field ranger. There's a whole lot of uh, subjects that are brought together to form a single field ranger. So we are the frontliner in conservation, and we are even more than that. So, yeah, this is my feeling. I don't know, Bob, if I did uh, answer your question uh, properly. Uh, I wish I could do more, but yeah, your questions may drive me to wherever you want me to uh, go. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, Anton. Matt, I'd like to, to bring you into this. You spend a lot of time in the, the schools in and around uh, Kruger and, and Timbavati. How do you see us getting past this just this resentment that is very good and very understandable reasons is so prevalent. And, you know, and unfortunately with COVID, you know, the, the socioeconomic fabric of this part of South Africa is being stretched even tighter and tighter. I mean, it's, you know, you can't say that hope, it feels like hope is right around the corner. How are you trying to combat that? Again, hearing my heroes, my, my icons that I've known for, I've known Ruben and Anton for more than 10 years each, thinking about this sacrifice and what they've done and holding that line when the world has very little clue about what's going on in the front lines. So I think we need to get more of these values that we're talking about today into the schools, into the communities. We have to develop leadership at a young level. Leadership can't be trained in a one-week course. It can be amplified. But I believe that leadership and values like integrity, courage, trust, um, good communication, those types of skills are really required in order to move our country forward. That's what we're trying with our, uh, and really focusing heavily on with our Future Rangers program. 
is connecting local teachers, local facilitators to youth on a consistent basis. Because the other thing that seems to be really amiss, not just in communities in South Africa, but around the world, is good mentorship. And so our facilitators, which is primarily women-led, um, become mentors for these young girls and boys to show them that there's another way to move ahead in life. We can couple that with the other aspect of our program, which is starting to look at economic opportunities, which is placing our best performing students into positions, not just where they excel at, but that they're passionate about. Because Anton and Ruben could speak for days about the amount of corruption that's happening in some of our parks, not just in the, in the Ranger Corps, but in conservation in general. And that's a huge issue as well. We're not building that passion from a young age so that the right students are going into the right jobs. We need to ensure and we need to be, help the employers that the folks that we are hiring like, are there for the right reasons. So, Bob, it's a, it's a massive, massive issue. And I think it might be very appropriate, Ruben, to hand it over to you on the character development side of things and how you've brought that into your training over the decades of, of field ranger training you've been doing. Uh, thank you, Matt. Uh, if I may then, Bob, go ahead and just talk about the process. Um, a ranger is a very particular type of person. It is a person that stands out uh, in terms of loyalty, in terms of hard work, very good work ethic that they need. Uh, obviously, the physical attributes, they must be able to hear, see well, they must be able to pick up smells very quickly because they are exposed to all of this. And, uh, and therefore, we applied a selection process, which is a very, very tough process, which is also coming out in the fall. But it's, it's a very tough process whereby you put people under physical duress for six days. And in those six days, they are being observed by a, a group, depending on the size of your selection group, but a group of at least 15 existing rangers, working rangers, uh, people that, that know exactly what they what they are about and what they are looking for. And then they are, they are being observed through, throughout all this time as to their character, as to the traits that they expose while under this physical exertion. Uh, in, in those six days, these rangers cover about 160 to 180 kilometers on foot, most of it with 20 kilograms on their backs. They never sleep longer than two hours. They are sleep deprived. It's very, very similar to what military processes um, are, are being used by the Navy SEALs or any other special forces around the world. Then in that process, you're observing these individuals and you are guiding them, mentoring them at the same time, the requirement for, for discipline, the requirement for having a mind that can deal with that kind of stress and still make a decision that is defendable in the court of law. Uh, so very much focused on that law enforcement part of the issue. But you are truly looking at the character of the individual, the person that must be able to step up under that pressure, step up, take leadership, person that can step up and show their work ethic, person that can get himself or herself involved into a process that they know is going to put them in harm's way, yet they choose it. Uh, once once that selection is done and you start training, uh, we, we have a very, very small attrition rate. To, uh, if people have gone through a proper selection, very, very small attrition rate in terms of people not being able to successfully uh, complete the, the training course itself. But during the training course, the, the, uh, the focus of the training is on people to accept responsibility and to accept leadership when it comes their way so that they understand 
But what they are doing, they are not only doing for a small area, physical land, but they are actually doing it for society and greater society across the world. That's a great segue into the the final round of questions that I want to ask each of you. And, and this kind of builds on the, the last question I've asked every every guest in every episode of the podcast, which is, you know, in particular today, we've, we've talked about a lot of challenges, the poaching, the causes of poaching, the inequities, particularly in this part of South Africa. But there is, you know, there is a reason for hope and there is hope that Rhino Man uh, can and will uh, help address some of these challenges and and do so in a way that's positive and constructive and hopefully lasting. And so I would like each of you to just very briefly touch on, you know, and almost reflect upon your role in the movie and, and think about what makes you hopeful about this movie addressing some of the issues and the challenges that we've you know, spent the last hour talking about. So, Matt, with that, why don't I first turn that to you? I mean, what what do you really hope to get from the film? Thanks, Bob. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Thinking about it, there's probably two really big things that I'd like to achieve with making this film. The first one is fulfilling a promise. Seven years ago, we stood in front of a ranger training group that's featured in Rhino Man, and we promised them that we would get their story out and I cannot begin to tell you how hard it's been to get to this point and how much the team has had to sacrifice to get us here. Uh, John hasn't come out of his room for the last two years editing this day and night, and I am beyond blessed to have had a team of people believe in this film and give up their entire lives to bring the story to life. So the first one is fulfilling our promise and being able to come back to these rangers and say, we, we've made true on our promise. We've told your story it's out there because at the end of the day, the Rangers are buying us time. It's what we do at that time that counts. And second of all, with this film, I truly hope to inspire the world that we all have a part to play. Whether you're on the front lines protecting rhinos day and night, whether you're training Rangers, whether you're making films about Rangers or trying to put together a, a team <laughs> to keep it all going, we all have a part to play. This planet is interconnected. There are no boundaries. There's no... There's no limit to what each of us can do. And I think if we all just tried a little bit harder to think outside of ourselves, as do the main characters in this film do every single scene, we could live in a much more beautiful, equitable planet. So that's what I'd love to see. Amen to that. Thank you, Matt. Anton, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yes. Uh, Rhino Man, since it's um, beginning right from the very primitive days when, when, um, they started uh, filming and putting things together in order for Rhino Man to uh, know, exist. Um, it's always been our uh, wish that one day we want to see uh, Rhino Man, the movie, going out to the whole world to see, because this is going to be the true reflection of what's happening on the ground. What we as law enforcers, as conservationists, as men and women um, in conservation and as frontliners doing, going through. So this is going to create more awareness to people who today might, may not see uh, the importance of what we're doing as conservationists, uh, as people on the ground. So this is going to 
send out the strong message and uh, to create more awareness to people who may seem to be not taking these things seriously. So it's, we, we are very excited to see Rhino Man one day coming out and dish out millions of people around the world. And in the same time, trying to show the world what is it all about to be a field ranger or to be a ranger. Yeah, that's wonderful. Ruben, what makes you hopeful? What makes me hopeful is that rangers are getting to the front. Uh, people are seeing rangers. Um, I think millions of people have visited conservation areas and have never seen or met a ranger in their entire lives because they're not meant to be visible. Their work is out there, is frontline, absolute frontline. It is literally being the bulletproof jacket of endangered species across the world, never mind or doesn't matter what species you're talking about, it's a range of protecting that species. For me, the most important part has always been, and I said this to Matt way back in the beginning, the rangers better look really good coming out of this movie because it is about the rangers. Martin Tambu was a soldier for nature. He was a ranger in his soul. And he is a person that is being honored with this movie. And um, I think every person whose life he had touched during his training interventions, during the time that he was there, um, will look at this movie. And I hope that they, within themselves, create the same, the same zest, the same drive that Martin had all his working life as a ranger trainer. And I hope to see the ranger out front and people starting to support rangers in such a way that they can see and understand that the support that they give now today actually goes to a ranger. Um, there's a lot of financial support in that that goes into conservation bodies, but very, very little of that reaches rangers. And I hope this movie makes people think twice before they, they put a dollar or $10 into a bin and say, I hope this helps a ranger in Africa. So. I just want to say as well, and this might be my first opportunity to do so publicly, but thank you, Matthew, and thank you, John, for the incredible amount of time that you put in to honor my friend and my brother-in-arms, uh, Martin and Anton. You, you, you know where you stand, so I hope this movie puts, puts all of you guys on the front. Thank you. And John Jerko, in, re in recognition of you spending the last two years locked in a room editing the film, the final word is yours. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Ruben and Anton and Matt. Uh, yeah, I really hope we can honor your guys' wishes for this film. And I think for me, you know, the, the film is, the backdrop of the film is this rhino poaching crisis. And uh, it is a conservation film, but I feel like this film is much more than that. It's very much a human story. And I think anyone, whether you're interested in this topic or not, can really connect to Ruben and Anton, uh, their stories, and Martin, who we honor in the film, and his story as you know, following people who are extremely passionate about doing something bigger than themselves in the world. And I really hope that people can take that away and find that passion within themselves and what they're 
seeking to better in the world, whether that's through conservation or, you know, one of the many other things that we are working on as humanity to better this world. Uh, it's It's been incredible meeting Anton and Ruben. And I think from the first moments of chatting with these guys and following them around, I just had so much respect and respect was given back. And it's just, uh, it's, it's something, it's something you don't see every day when you're, you meet someone. So I feel like, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna really connect people to their stories. And also, you know, the, the film's Rhino Man, but their uh, Ruben's wife, Marianne plays a big part in the training. We get to see her and, you know, we weren't able to follow any women through the selection process, but there are a lot of female Rangers and there's a lot of good projects out there that are supporting them as well. So we don't want this to feel like it's just about men. It's about men and women and everyone that has a heart for conservation and bettering the world. So yeah, through the film, we hope that we connect with people on that level. And then also, you know, we're putting together a social impact campaign and working with partners to uh, support the Rangers on the grounds, uh, on the front line, but also look to the future and what Matt was talking about and Anton was talking about with, you know, GCC and a lot of the projects that are going on to incorporate the communities and allow them to benefit from the conservation areas, uh, learn about conservation and have real job opportunities so that they can provide for their families and uh, care for conservation as well. So yeah, it's, it's a lot, but uh, feeling really, really grateful and excited to get this film out into the world. Well, thank you, John. And I would just urge all of you who are listening to follow along as Rhino Man nears its release. Please join the wonderful movement that that these four wonderful people have created as part of this film. And to John said, we, we invite you to become part of something bigger and to help all of us make the world just a little bit better for future generations. So thank you, Matt, John, Anton, and Ruben. And we're so excited to see the release of Rhino Man.